You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. What I got to do is take off where we took where we left off really two weeks ago. Last week we skipped a week. It's kind of going all the way back to the Pentecost thing and building on that. This morning we're going to talk about building on the foundation. Two weeks ago, two weeks, two two Sundays, not Sunday, but the one before, we talked about the foundation and, and the building on the foundation. You had the op- option of building with gold, silver, and precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble. We decided that the gold, silver, and precious stones are God's word and the things of, of God that he calls us to use. And it says all of those things will be tested by fire. And this morning I was on the way in and I thought, and, and I just happened to turn the radio on. There's a little guy, Bible something ministries. I can't think of what the last part of it. It's out in Fairfield. He has a little radio program. It comes on at 730. A lot of times I'll go pick up the people that I pick up on Sunday mornings and I'm listening to that. And he said something and I was like, you know, maybe we need to be reminded of that. It's in Ephesians 1.1 and it says to the saints. And then it talks about where they're at. And, in, and the faithful in Jesus Christ. So the Bible is written to the saints and to those that are faithful in Jesus Christ. It's written to all men, but particularly the New Testament is written to the saints and the faithful. And who are the saints? Well, if we had a Catholic angle, we would say that the saints were these particular people that lived above humanness, right? They did these things that were exceptional and particularly holy. But the word saint, what's the word for a holy in Spanish there, Mr. Alva? Santo. Santo, saint. What does the word santo mean? It means, it means saint or holy. What does holy mean? Set apart. Saint, santo. Uh, in Latin, sanctus. In the Greek, the word is holy. That's what the word means. So those that are set apart, so God's word, who, what is God's word? Who's God's people? God's people are those that follow him, that desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. They are to live set apart life. So Paul's writing to the Ephesians. He's writing to the saints. He's writing to the holy, to the set apart. I'm speaking to you this morning, people on this side and people on this side. The saints, you know, every person that believes in Christ becomes a saint. He becomes set apart, no longer living as the world, now living as a set apart person, a holy person, filled with the Holy Spirit in the image of Christ, growing in the image of Christ. I'm speaking to you this morning, saints and those that are faithful in Jesus Christ, to build on the foundations. Psalm 11 we're going to be in, um, we're going to do one verse in particular after the Psalm 11, and that's Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17, Charlie Alva. Deuteronomy 17. He said, I went too fast a couple weeks ago. He gave me a hard time about not giving enough time. But in Psalm 11, it says, uh, verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And you can probably remember that part, but the part in ch- verse 2 says that the world is going to fire at the foundation. It says, they make ready their arrow on a string, and they shoot secretly at the upright in heart. And what are they shooting at? They're shooting at the foundation. They're aiming their weapons at the foundation that is the basis of Christianity, of the Christian life. And uh, the problem is, is that many Christians, believers, inadvertently fire at their own foundation. And they do it by taking on things of the world and accepting them as truth. They no longer accept God's word as truth primarily because they don't know God's word. They're set apart 
but they're set apart and then they use worldly wisdom to try to magnify who they are in, in their spiritual life instead of reading God's word. And so it damages their sanctification. It damages their sainthood. It damages their holiness because they're not being set apart as God calls them to be set apart. They're being set apart as the world calls them to be set apart. But the problem is, is the world's standard changes all the time. My, my sister's children, um, she was asking me to pray for them. She said, well, they say that they're Christians, but, you know, they're, they're so worried about not being judgmental that they don't see anything as sin. And their answer for everything is God is love. Well, yes, God is love. God's also wrath. Man, natural enemies of God. God is wrath against those that are his enemies. He loves those that are his, those that are his children, those that are heirs of uh, and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He loves those. But those that are not his and decide to live a life separate from his says that they are condemned already. Neither liars, fornicators, and etc. They go down the list, murderers and so on, shall have no part of the kingdom of heaven. Well, if God loves, God is love and he loves everyone, then he would just let everyone into heaven. But that's not the case. He does love those that are his. And he has a concern. He's not willing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. He cares for all of mankind that they would be returned and reconciled to him. He does want that. But for those that are his, the Bible is written specifically to us as how kingdom people should live in the kingdom. And the number one building material of kingdom people is godly wisdom. But Isaiah 28 says, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. And he's talking about Christ. So the foundation stone, we talked about this two weeks ago, is Christ. One of the main, the cornerstone, the main stone that's holding up the building. And then the other stones around it that's building the footer, so to speak, that's building the base of this building is... Uh, God's Word. That's where that development of wisdom comes from. Let's go to Deuteronomy 17. It's very interesting. I read, I read Deuteronomy. I've been reading it this week and read it again this morning. And as I read Deuteronomy, I can see that God is outlining kingdom principles through Moses. It says, the very first line of Deuteronomy says that this is the writing of Moses as God delivered the Word to him. So he's giving it back to them again. Deuteronomy, which is, involves the two there, the second reading of the law, specifically for the people. And he gives this to Moses, and Moses reminds them of this whole law again. He wants them to remember. And he says, down the road, what you guys are going to do, and it was very interesting that the principles in Deuteronomy, before I get too far, same principles you're going to find in Ephesians. The reason I read you that in Ephesians, to the saints and the faithful in Jesus Christ, that's God's people. And there's actually plug after plug of the care of the Gentiles, which is what we are, in Deuteronomy. How you're not supposed to uh, set aside those of other nations, or you're not supposed to reject the Gentile. If they're willing to walk in the kingdom manner, you can accept them into your ranks. But they have to live in a kingdom manner. So he says at some point you're going to have a king. You're going to have a saint. And I want you to follow this saint because you're going to reject me, but I want you to follow this guy. But this guy has to act in this way. Look at um, Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20 and see how it is that a wise man of God should live. It doesn't change from Old Testament to New. If I go to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, it's the same man. If I go to Ephesians, it's the same man. Here's what it says. 17, verse 18 through 20. 
Also it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. That his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in the kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So I'm going to give you ten. Cause, so, so two weeks ago we talked about the foundation. And it says to build on with gold, silver, and precious stones, all of which are tested by fire. We talked about the flaw in the precious stone. And you can remove a, a flaw in a stone by heating it. So all those require heat, pressure, testing. And the wood, hay, and stubble obviously are going to be burned up. So as believers, how should believers live? What does godly wisdom look like for a believer, a kingdom-dwelling believer? What, what does it look like? How can I build on this if I don't know what the building blocks are? So here they are in this... In these three little verses, here they are, ten of them. Number one, God must become your personal pursuit. The first thing it says there, and it shall be when he sits on the throne of the kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book. From the moment of salvation, if it's true in you, like he said, he, I, I'm, I'm sure that at some point there, uh, Mikey, that you thought that you were saved. And then you're listening to these other guys, and you're like, well, it sounds like these guys have something that I don't have. So the first thing we need to do is evaluate our salvation. Make your calling and election sure. If you're sure that you're saved, there's that moment of, there's a moment, a point in time where you can recognize that you have rejected your old life and now seek to live fully for the Lord. Recognize him, his as master, you're his slave, he's leading, you're just following, you're doing what he tells you to do. Once that point's been achieved, you become God's child. And like any child, you're now at the mercy of your parents. So obedience is key. We, we, uh, well, I don't want to tell you about that, but it was cute. I just, just know. Maybe Grace will tell you about it this morning. But the obedience of Mila this morning, it was, it was really sweet. She's, her parents call her in, and they have to talk to her because she did something that was off track. As the child, you're at the mercy of your parents. They can handle it in a cruel way, a heavy-handed way, or they can be very kind and guiding and, and disciplinary at the same time as well. Do a good job this morning there, O-Strainers, as usual. But obedience is key for the child. God's assignment for the king, for the parents, for you, as a child of Christ, it says, is to write a copy of the law down. So if the king has a copy of the law, he's written it down, he has no excuse for living in any other way than what the copy says. He wrote it down. It was inspected by these priests and Levites. That's number two. Pursuing God will be an inconvenient uh, thing for you. From the, it says that he has to make this copy of the law from the book, the one before the priests and the Levites. So he doesn't get to make the law. See, that's the problem with us, is we get saved, we, we find Christ, Christ finds us. And then instead of reading God's word, we read, and I, I know I brought up the devotion thing. Devotions are fine, to a point. If devotions are where you're getting your doctrine, you're, you're messing up. God's word is where you get the doctrine. If you want to use that as a commentary alongside the doctrine, that might be something else. But be very careful that the doctrine's coming directly from God's Word because men get off track on stuff. We get agendas. He says, take it from the copy that the priests and the Levites has. It's not something Solomon can do in his bathrobe, his little slippers, sit in front of his fire in his recliner. 
He has to get up. He has to go where this copy of the law is. They have to unroll the scrolls. You're not allowed to touch the scrolls, by the way, only the Levites and the priests. And you have to make the copy, and then the scribes watch you do it. And each word has to be written corrective. Each letter, each letter has a slot and so on, and, and you put it in, in place. And uh, they figured this would take eight hours a day, five days a week, for at least six months to a year. This is a burden. This isn't an easy thing. Pursuing God will be inconvenient for you. So uh, he has to use, so Solomon is who, who we, you know, David and Solomon would have been the first two that this would have affected, really. Because King Saul was very rebellious in these things. So he would have had to get up every day and get dressed and go to the temple, or no temple at that time, go to the tabernacle and to begin to write this down. And he would have to spend eight focused hours in doing this, and it would be inspected. Well, for us, we have it so much simpler. It's in our own language. There's no one calling us to write it down. But there should be some effort of focused study day by day, some writing down, some kind of journaling something of God's Word and what His Word is speaking to you. If I write down what God's Word speaks to me, I don't guess I need a commentary as much because He speaks directly to me from His Word. Number three... God's word must be your guarded treasure. Oh, by the way, uh, the world mocks godliness on number two. The world mocks godliness. When you, when you take concerted time and effort to write this word down, to study the word, people are going to be like, man, what is wrong? You're reading a book that's ever how many thousand years old and it's copies of copies. Who knows if it's even right? It's right. It's true. God's word is truth. God's word does not go away. Man will go away. God's word will not go away. It remains forever. Take the time. Don't worry about the world and what the world says. Do what the word says. Number three, God's word must be your guarded treasure. It says, and it shall be with him. It says, write a copy of the book. Verse 19 says, and it shall be with him. A person who desires to be godly needs a copy of his word accessible to him. And a lot of people nowadays, of course, you got it on your phone, um, but having it on your phone and looking at it on your phone is two different animals. I can have, we got a big, nice Bible back there. And uh, the reason it's so nice, it's from 1870-something, I think, was when it was printed. It's pretty neat. Got all kind of pictures. The only way that thing is still in any kind of work in order today is because it was never opened. I mean, it's a beautiful book, and it's super cool. Thank God we have it today. That thing should have been, you know, wore out and burned up 100 years ago. The reason it's in such fine shape is nobody ever read the book. You can have a really fine copy of God's word, leather cover, beautiful, and it not be, and it just be completely worthless. It's basically holding up the short leg of the table. That's all it's good for. You got to open the book, and it needs to be with you. A person who desires to be godly needs a copy of the word in his hand at all times, because things happen. We live in a wicked and perverse generation. I keep copies in my truck. I have copies I can give away. I got them in Spanish and English. You're a brown man and you come by, you can't speak, you can't speak English, but you can write. Here you go. God's word in your language, brother. Carry on. I had a guy who was a gangbanger guy, covered in tattoos, and he was stopping to get drugs from another guy, but he had a flat tire. And the other guy drove off and left him there. I helped him change his tire. And I didn't know what he was doing at the time, but I figured it out. But anyway, I'm like, hey man. Uh, as best I can do in my limited Spanish, talking to him about it. I was like, man, are you a Christian man? My grandmother, she's a Catholic. Well, what are you? So I break out my Gospel of John in the Spanish language. I was like, you need to read this. You need to read it for yourself and you need to read it for your family. 
And I said, and then on the back, it shows you how to get saved. It's right here. It's in Spanish. And I give it to him. So now he's got a copy of the word in his own language. You need to be ready to be able to have a word to give to people in season and out of season at all times. If they're gangbangers, just go packing and then give them the word and <laughs> run or whatever. But uh, you can do it. But you need to have it ready so that you have an opportunity to give it. You need a refreshing in the midst of a cruel and a wicked world. You need it. There's been days where you're like, man, so, fr so depressed, so down, so whatever. Man, break out the word. It's right there. Rivers of living water, it's right there. You just open out and it runs out on your hands. All you have to do is open it. Take the scroll with you. It should be the top book on your stack in the morning. Don't read the newspaper. Don't read the comics. Don't read the magazine before you read the word. Read the word first. And then everything else will layer on top of that, and you'll use it to filter what the world is saying versus the other way. If you read the world first, you tend to filter the word through the world. Read the word. I mean, yeah, if you read the world first, you'll filter the word through the world. Read the word first, and it'll, it'll work better for you. Guard the scriptures. Make them a full part of your whole life. Number four, reading the word must become your personal habit. It says, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it. To have the word, like I said, and it be the, and it be the, uh, the dusty thing that you dust off when the neighbors come and you open it to the right passage so it looks like you're doing stuff, is not helping you. If you go, there's more, to, there's more to life than going to Bible school or seminary or having this short period of time where you're just really intensively filled with the Word of God. But if I don't go back to it day after day after day, it becomes like a TV show I watched in the past, and I can remember like one or two little snippets of the show that made me laugh, but I can't remember the whole gist of the whole program. i got to put it in there every day. Line upon line, precept upon precept. It says line must be upon line. You layer it in there like the Dagwood sandwich, and you just keep putting it on there, and you keep stacking it up. And then when you need it, it's there. But if I don't ever put it in there, it won't be there when I need it the most. We're no, like I said, we're notoriously bad for picking up a devotion or something. It's that quick shot. It's like drinking a Red Bull. You know, that quick shot of energy to get me by. I'll read five minutes, 168 hours in a week. I don't know if you knew that or not. And if you spend five to 15 minutes a day, you haven't even spent an hour hardly out of a week to defend yourself against the other 167 where everything in the world is just going to blast you. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The world is constantly shooting at what we are as followers of Christ. They're shelling away at it, shelling away at it, shelling away at it. And when we don't do the, we don't do the work that it takes to repair and work on the foundation, building the foundation, and time will fall away. And it's a real problem with young people. Because we haven't done a good job of developing the foundation with them. And then maybe they've, they're kind of this and that, a little wiffle-waffery there, even in growing up. And when I get to college, I'm going to let it go. If the foundation isn't built and being constantly amended and repaired, they're not going to hang in there in the long run. They're going to fall away. You've got to develop the foundation. Uh, like I said, that commentary is not going to do it for you. That devotional is not going to do it. The little video or whatever and stuff, you know, the Christian music, it doesn't have the meat that you need that's going to keep you. It's going to, our resolve will weaken when hard times come because we don't have the line upon line, um, precept upon precept, statute upon statute. We don't have it in there. It's got to be in there. And we've got to keep developing it. It comes, it, it develops our stability, our longevity. Number five. 
Nurturing your soul must become a lifelong habit. It says, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. So a daily reading all the days of his life. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They call it hangry. Have you seen that commercial when you're supposed to eat a Snickers? Um, that's, I wish my man Keith was here today. That's the, that's the king of hangry right there. And I'll be like, Keith, just, just eat you something, man. Just eat us, you know, I'm not even hungry. And then he'll eat something. He's a new man just like that, friendly, happy, and works like a dog. You're like, don't, you know, just eat something. The, you're probably hangry. When the stresses of the world, you're spiritually hangry. When the stresses of the world are coming down on you and this depression rises up and this frustration, and does, does God really hear me when I pray? Am I really saved? Am I really this or that? Why won't my children repent? Why doesn't this happen? How come these people treat me so? Man, get back in the Word. You're leaving yourself starving, and you're trying to go out there and do combat, and you, and you can't. Remember Jonathan? And he's like, we, we got to pursue these... these um, I'm an Amorites, I believe, I can't remember, one of the bad guys. And he just sees a bunch of honey, and it's coming out of the trees, and it says he dips his staff in the honey, and it says immediately his face was brightened, and he had the energy to pursue them and, and kill a bunch more of them. But the rest of the army, they weren't able to pursue them all the way because they ran out of energy because Saul told them they were supposed to fast while they pursued the enemy. They didn't have the endurance to finish the battle, but Jonathan did. Feed yourself in the word. You need to hunger after the pure milk of the word until you're able to move up to the meat of the word. There's doctrines in there that are, that are harder than others. We've got to get beyond the doctrine of salvation. The doctrine of salvation is key and foundational, but that's not all there is to the word of God. There's so many things going on there, and it's about developing you as a kingdom member of the body of Christ, developing you now for your eternal walk with God in eternity. It says Ecclesiastes 12, for a man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about in the streets. There's going to come a time when you're going to die. And at that point, it's something really interesting is going to happen. The part of you that's made from the earth, the dirt, is going to return to the dirt. But the spirit, the miraculous, the spiritual, the supernatural returns to its natural home, which is the heavens. The part of man is going to be separated. Finally, the, the flesh and the natural part of you that prompts you to sin, think wicked thoughts, say terrible things, all that part, it's going to go back in the earth where it belongs. It's going to stay here. The spiritual part is going to be separated and be with God forever and eternity. Each part goes to the place where it rightfully belongs, and that's going to be good. We need to be developing the part with the gold, the silver, the precious stones. We need to be developing that part and rejecting the wood, hay, and stubble that stays here. We've got an eternity with God in heaven, and we need to be eternity people now. Begin working on that. Number six, spiritual growth takes up your time. It's not instantaneous, and this is a hard thing for people. We have that, that moment of salvation or that moment of new birth, and things are really good, and positive things happen, and we see other people come to Christ because we're on fire for Christ, and we begin to tell other people the gospel and begin to live like kingdom people, and in time, we lose that enthusiasm for many reasons. One reason generally is in less Bible reading, less associating with other believers, less seeking the Lord in prayer, less time in those things. This one man I know, I met, he had been in prison for almost 40 years because he uh, killed a police officer back in the day in Texas. And in that time, I've told you about this guy before, he wrote the entire Bible out and he had the, it was about, 
it was maybe that thick. He wrote it entirely out on pieces of paper and had it tied together with mop strings. He said the average day he spent over 12 hours a day reading and writing the scriptures. He'd read the Bible over how many times. And he was really proud of this work that he'd accomplished, written it from Genesis to Revelation. It was a big thing. And he said, you know, one of the hardest part about being out of prison is because now I don't have anybody forcing my hand to study the Bible every day. And he said, I'm lucky if I get six hours of reading in now. I was like, that's, that's pretty good. Six hours is pretty good. But, um, but I mean, he's like, oh, a lot of days I might only get two hours or something. So as, as things changed, what was so important to him, so critical for his survival over 40 years, it was a thing he was able to put aside. And it wasn't, it, it wasn't giving him the endurance that he needed to accomplish the task that God had set before him. So Solomon, this is the sad part, that he may learn to fear God. Solomon may have thought that a singular reading and writing, just like the prisoner man, of God's word one time would be enough to carry him through. There's many, how many people have ever read through the Bible cover to cover? How many? One, two, three, four, maybe, maybe, maybe 10 people in here, okay? It ain't enough. Look at the difference of Solomon and David. Solomon had a reading through the Bible, and of course we're talking about the five books there, one time and writing it down. And he's like, that'll be enough to carry me till I die. But it wasn't enough. As time got on and he got further from the word, he got distracted by ladies and, and, and wealth and prestige and status and all these things, it wasn't enough to carry him through for the long run. What he needed was what David had. David writes Psalm 119, I meditate on your word day and night. I can't sleep for longing for your word. In your word, I find the very words of life. You read the Psalms and then read what Solomon writes. What does he write? Vanity of vanities, all vanity. He's like Eeyore. They're, look at the mindset of these two men. They're both writing books of the Bible. Solomon's is about you know, dancing girls there in Song of Solomon's, and it's about negative things in Ecclesiastes, and David's writing the very words of life, talking about, please don't remove your spirit from, even when he's in sin, the only thing he can think about is meditating on God's word and, and being restored to fellowship with God. That's the difference. One guy reads it one and done, and the other guy makes it his primary source of nutrition throughout his entire existence. Make it your nutrition. Verse number seven. God wants your willful obedience, not just going through the motions. It says, verse uh, uh, 19 again, it says that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. He wants to be completely filled with the nutrition of God's word and not just the opinions of others on his word, but God's word. Why? So that he can be careful to observe all the words of the law and these statutes, the king copied down all the words so that he would know what God wanted him to, to do, what, what he was supposed to do as far as selecting friends or where he's supposed to go or how he's supposed to live or whether it, it, one of the things it told the king is he's not supposed to drink. Why isn't he supposed to drink? Because it would alter his view of people. It would distort his vision. He would be hearing from his own sense or whoever he had surrounded himself with and so he's not to drink it, there is a place for drinking in the bible it's for the sick it's for the the depressed and it was for the um the dying and it was for uh celebrations 
But outside of that, there's very little place in the Bible where, where alcohol is treated in a positive way. Pro, you know, three of the four there were in negative ways. You're going to die anyway. Have some wine. You know. But what's going on here is he's saying you can't drink at all. There's no room for, for marriage ceremonies that you're going to be a part of and you losing control in drinking. Because what it's going to do is you're going to shame yourself and people are going to lose regard for you. So set it aside. It's a, it's a big deal. Be careful to observe the words of this law. Solomon inherited the largest inheritance ever recorded from his father. But what did, and it's another comparison between David and Solomon, what did Solomon do with his wealth and what did David do with his? Solomon built for, he did build the temple, but after that he built large houses, gardens for himself, accumulated huge amounts of wealth, bought chariots, horsemen, horses, all the things that Deuteronomy told him, if he had read it and wrote it down, which he did but forgot, all the things that Deuteronomy told him not to do. Took on wives and concubines, another thing it told him not to do. Took on wives from other nations, another thing it told him not to do. What did David do? David accumulated the wealth in order to build the temple of God. Two different mindsets. David wanted to grow God's kingdom Solomon wanted to use God's kingdom to develop his own kingdom. Big difference. So what are you going to do? David sought to build wealth for the Lord, and Solomon sought to build wealth for himself. Number eight, God expects you to choose humility. Again, verse 20, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren. So, by the way God works, however it is, time and chance happens to all men, the Bible says, somehow he ends up on top of the heap. He ends up with great wisdom, with great wealth, with great handsomeness, very desirable. He has charisma. He has leadership. He has all these spiritual gifts and physical gifts and attributes. But he's to read the word so that in that understanding of reading the word, he'll see that when it comes down to it, we're all one thing, and that is a sinner separated from God by our flesh, by sin. So he's like, make a copy, keep it, dwell on it so that you remember what you really are. It's really, um, so one thing about uh, people with a storied past is a lot of times they have a really clear line of, of this is where I was and this is what I am now. People that haven't done a lot wrong in their life, they can be very judgmental of people that have messed up a lot in their life. And what they don't see, these people that haven't messed up a lot by their own perception, is that in their own spirit, they have sins that are just completely different than these guys, you know. A, a good example is our friend Reinald, and, uh, um, and he wouldn't mind me telling you this, but he carries this sin on the outside. He's covered up with tattoos. You can tell he's had a rough life. He's got them have all of his teeth and things like that. You can tell. But his spirit is right. His spirit is right before God. He loves the Lord. He serves the Lord. He cares about serving others more highly than himself. I would rather have that guy wear his sin on the outside and say, this is what I was, than those that carry their sin on the outside that look down, that look down on others. They're greedy. They're selfish. They're liars. They're their whatever, covetous and whatever their issues are, and they carry them around on the inside, but they're, they're like the whitewashed tomb. They look good on the outside, but they're black as death on the inside. Recognize that we're all one. We're all created in God's image. 
Yeah, because of the fall, we all have that sin on the inside. Don't set yourself in your mind or in your words higher than another because you can be taken down. He's, don't, uh, yeah, let's see. So anyway, number nine, God expects your submission. It says that he may not, that his heart may not be lifted up, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left. God wants you to submit to him. Like, Sol, like Samuel said, when he hears the voice of God, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. That's the correct response. I can't get that response if I can't hear the voice. The reason I preached what I preached last week, I told you, it's been a long time since that happened to me, maybe like two or three other times, where God so obviously said, whatever you got to preach this morning is not what I want you to preach. I want you to preach this. And, I, and I'm telling you, the other part he said was, I don't want you to use notes. And that's not how I prefer to do it. And so that's what I did. I don't know if it was for you or if it was for me, but that's what we did. But I can't hear his voice if I'm not in his word. I can't hear his voice if I'm not praying. I can't hear his voice if every amount of ministry that I do is oriented to my own self-aggrandizement. I do it because it makes me feel good. I can only hear his voice when I'm being obedient to him. The word is doulos, which is the word for slave. I'm his slave. So I listen for my master's voice. He tells me what I must do, and I must do it. If I don't do it, then I'm an unrighteous or a wicked slave, not a servant. You're not a servant of God. You're a slave of God. When he saved you, he made you his. And you say, well, I'm a slave to no man. You're a slave to all kind of stuff. And we talked about this recently, but you just, you know, you just figure out what it is. You might be a slave to your kids and their time. You might be a slave to time and poor time management. You might be a slave to your cell phone. You might be a slave to food. You might be a slave to some wickedness in your life or greediness or whatever. Something owns you. But when God comes and he sends his son to die for you and you place yourself under his control, now he owns you. Psalm 100 tells us he created us. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. He created us. He made you. So he has the right to tell you what to do. Number two, we're his people. You said that you willingly wanted him to save you. You're his. He owns you, but he treats you as the sheep of his pasture. He's not out there like the wolf killing the sheep. He's out there caring for the sheep. Get your mind right on who you are in Christ and what he, his ownership of you, and it will be easy to serve him, knowing that he's a good father. Who's the greatest among you, Jesus said? The one who's the greatest servant. So just do what the Lord tells you to do. Slave doesn't own anything. He waits for his master's call. He just does what his master does. And this is another thing. Uh, make sure, as a slave, that when you goof up, you take as much responsibility for your own goof-ups as, you as you do the credit when you have successes. Because we're really bad to take credit for our successes, but to reject the responsibility of our sinfulness. Place both of them underneath the power and control of the Lord and allow him to have the glory for your successes and you maintain the repentance for your failures. Number 10, God wants to bless you, this last one, and offers you a spiritual heritage. It says that he may prolong his days, let me, I'll read the part before, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom. He and his children 
in the midst of Israel. Remember Joshua 1, 8, 9, it was talking about the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. And then it ends with a very similar statement, and he will prosper you in all that you do. So you can... You can fear not in this, that is, um, God's got it handled. If you're doing the work that God assigns you to do, God, God has it handled. He's going to bless you, he's going to direct you, he's going to guide you, and he's going to care for you. If you're going to do it on your own, then you have none of those guarantees. If you want to do it on your own, it's like the prodigal son. He goes off in the foreign land, and he goes and does it on his own, but he doesn't do so well in that. And you, and, and you can be on your own and be a good and immoral person. And I think we get that confused sometimes. Like, what I'm doing is not really bad. I'm just earning my living. I'm just doing my thing. But if it's not what God's called you to do, then you're doing it on your own and you're outside of his will. I'm not saying he can't work within you in that because God is going to accomplish his sovereign purposes how he does. But he's going to bless the work of your hand if you're walking in God's path to wisdom. God's path to wisdom allows you longevity and prosperity and success as long as you're on his path. And longevity may be till you're 25 years old. I was just reading about Matthew Henry. That guy wrote, I don't know if you've ever seen his commentary. He wrote this huge commentary, literally a word-for-word -word commentary on the Bible. It's six books about this long. I mean, tiny writing. There's a lot going on there. He died when he was 40. He knocked it out before he was 40. He learned the Latin, Greek, and Hebrew before he was 20, and he did the rest before he was 40. And he preached, he traveled by foot everywhere, all around London, whatever, England, and he wrote that by the time he was 40. It's called better time management than I got. That's what it's called. <laughs> but that was what God called him to do. His longevity of life was the, the length of life that he had that God provided for him in order that his will be accomplished. And that's it. And when God's done using you, guess what? Last breath. So be used by God. Be used completely up by God and, and be obedient in that, following in obedience all the days of your life. And through this, you demonstrate to others that you belong to God. That's very important. I think it's something we've missed as believers. We have believer time and then we have living lifetime. And sometimes we don't carry believing time into the living lifetime. Deuteronomy 4, 9 and 10, it says, Only take heed to yourselves and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said, I will let them hear my words. Though these words are from the Old Testament, they have great value for us today. I was, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to tell you this. If every Christian that's here today, every father, Every father, if you just brought your children to the foundational knowledge of who Christ is and they continued in fellowship with other believers beyond your death, how big would the church in the world be? The average person never brings a single person to Christ. The average believer never brings a single person to Christ. And by this recent whatever poll or whatever, the average person never even tells another person about their religion for fear of offending them. Okay, well then tell your kids. 
That means Jed gets to add five, Bisbee's get to add five, Miller's get to add two. It makes the church huge in a hurry. And let your kids tell other kids. But somebody's got to tell somebody. Because for lack of that, this church that's very blessed with young people and stuff will die, no slight on old people, it will die being filled with old people who will pass away and the gospel will never go beyond that generation. But a wise person builds on the foundation, which is Christ telling others. There's going to be negatives in life. It's just part of living. But living as an obedient slave to God will reap rewards in eternity that we can't realize in this age. I, was, I watched this thing, and it talked about how Christianity was dying in the Western world and how it was going to, you know, kind of like John, uh, uh, the guy from the Beatles. What's his last name? John Lemon. John Lemonhead. He, uh, John Lennon. How he said that they were more famous than Jesus. He said, we're more famous than Jesus. And, and he, another time, he said that he, the Beatles' music would outlive Christianity. And, of course, he died like a dog, and Christianity moves on. But I am going to tell you that in the Western world, Christianity is shrinking. But in places of great persecution, China, Iran... Um, and Afghanistan, places like that, it's growing. So if that's what we need, that's what God will put on us. Deuteronomy 10, 12, last verse, it says, And now, God's people, it says, O Israel, but God's people, what does the Lord your God require of you? Having read this list of things, I'm going to read you the list one more time just so you can ponder it, but the first one, God must be become your, your personal pursuit. Number two, God, pursuing God will be inconvenient for you. God's word must be your guarded treasure. Reading the word must become your personal habit. Nurturing your soul must become a lifelong habit. Spiritual growth takes up your time. It's not instantaneous. Number seven, God wants your willful obedience, not just going through the motions. God expects you to choose humility. God expects your submission. And last, God wants to bless you and offer you a spiritual heritage. Passing on God's word to your children is a command of God to God's people. Speak these things in your home, to your children, when you're walking, when you lay down, when you go by the way. Speaking them, telling them, reminding them. So what does the Lord your God require of you? You know as believers that God does have a calling for you, and I pray that you'll apply it to your life. If you haven't read through the Bible, get you a Bible reading plan, read through the Bible in a year, and start reading it. The whole of God's Word is what we need for survival and kingdom preparation in this day, okay? Father, this morning, Lord, we ask for your mercy and your grace on this place. I pray for these that have come, as they've heard your word, that they would be re renewed in their spirit, encouraged, Lord. I pray that they'd be encouraged to read your word. I pray that they'd be encouraged to listen for your word. I pray that they'd be encouraged to look for opportunities to serve others with the gospel. Lord, I pray that they'd seize opportunities. I pray that they would have the word handy where they could give it to another. I pray that you would have the word fresh on their lips and fresh in their heart where they're hearing it and they're putting it in there and they're storing it, ready to give it to someone else. Lord, every word in your book is from you given to us so that we can understand who you are and what we are. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I thank you for this time. Thank you for the music this morning and for, for Mikey. Lord, I pray a blessing on him as he goes about his way, Lord, that you would bless him, you would bless the work of his hands that you would bless the words of his mouth, that he would speak holy words of life to others, that they would hear the word and receive Christ because of it. I pray that you would provide fruit for his work of evangelism. Lord, we pray for his, uh, his uh, uncle there, um, Danny Blue. Lord, we pray for his spirit. Lord, I pray he be encouraged as well. I pray that you 
demonstrate through Mikey uh, your change and that Danny would receive that as well. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your care for us. And uh, just go before us this day, Lord. Let us see your hand at work, Lord. Holy Spirit, do not remove your presence from us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.